Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 23rd, 2014. Alright, this program technically does not have a theme, although a couple of the segments sort of work together, it's, it, that's kind of an accident, not on purpose. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, because sadly there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and then, you know, see if what people, uh, what they're saying actually, you know, squares with what God's Word, you know, says. So, um, (laughs) Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said, we're going to be all over the map. And uh, one segment in particular just cracks me up. But uh, we're we're going to have to kind of do this in order. So let's do this the way we're going to do it on today's episode. We're going to begin with a William Tapley update. We've been waiting for William Tapley to kind of really for sure talk about this bishops synod that recently concluded in uh in rome and uh he's now ha- now he has a, a a video dedicated specifically to that topic and i am scratching my head going what is the man talking about and we'll, we'll see if we can figure it out i know i understand it has to do with the roman theology regarding the mass and, and you're what's the mass well that's what the roman catholics call the lord's supper which is in a sense, in the, this is where it gets weird. You know, um, <clears throat> medieval theology you know, leading up to the Reformation taught that the Mass is a sacrifice, a bloodless sacrifice, re-sacrifice of Christ. And and Rome has tried to kind of distance itself from that, and they they play some really weird uh, word games to uh, to get away from the medieval language that the Reformers, it, this, this would be Luther, Melanchthon, Calvin, uh, Zwingli, Knox, I mean, the, the, what they were saying about the Mass and the Lord's Supper, you know, back in the medieval period was off the chain, bizarre, you know, that it was a bloodless re-sacrifice of Christ. But there's still a sense in Roman Catholicism that the Eucharist, the Mass, is a sacrifice, which is, you know, kind of a mess. And so we'll take a look at uh, what William Tapley has to say about the uh, 
the Bishop Synod that recently concluded there in Rome. And it's funny listening to him because he talks about the Pope the way Fox News uh, news pundits talk about Obama. It's kind of interesting what he does there. Then we're going to switch gears and we're going to do a Christine Kane <laughs> update. And Christine Kane was at the uh, at TD Jakes's uh, "Woman Thou Art Loosed" conference uh, this year, and <laughs> and uh, the the the, the TD Jakes folks have have posted a highlight video. <laughs> And just thinking about it kills me. Anyway, a highlight video. And the only way I can describe it is this is an example of uh, of like a total fail when it comes to an inspirational speech. And uh, what she's doing is you know, this classic, silly way of reading uh, from the book of Exodus regarding the ten plagues. You know, the plague of frogs. And for- Pharaoh could choose the day he wanted the frogs to leave. And he didn't pick like today, you know. And so uh, what's funny is is evangelicalism, you know, in their continual narcissistic, eisegetical way, they read that as this is you know, now there's frogs in your life. And God wants you to pick the day when your frogs are going to leave. And what Christine Kane does with this is just, it kills me. It absolutely, I've watched the video like six times and every time I just have fallen apart because it just strikes me as like the worst inspirational sermon speech I've ever heard. And then we'll take a look at uh, an RNS, Religion News Story Service, regarding Hillsong refusing to take a stand on uh, on homosexuality. Which really shouldn't surprise people because, listen, if you want to make your church as broadly appealing as possible and, you know, you've taken great pains to basically put the culture into the driver's seat as to what goes on in a church, you don't want to drive away the culture by, you know, telling people up front, hey, you know, we believe what the Bible says that, you know, that's a sin and you need to repent and be forgiven. And so we'll take a look at the RNS news story as well as um, listen to a little bit of audio of um, Brian Houston talking about uh, the gay issue er- earlier this year. I think we played this audio, but I think it bears repeating because it's it's mentioned in the uh, this strategy that they've put out is mentioned uh, in the RNS story. And then we'll switch gears and we have a Lisa Bevere update. And uh, if you uh, if you haven't been watching Life Today, oh. You know, you've really, truly been blessed. But um, unfortunately, me, I I monitor these things, and so I've been watching Life Today. And normally Wednesdays on uh, Life Today with uh, James Robison is uh, the day when Beth Moore is teaching. And uh, there have been other people coming in and teaching for Beth Moore during that spot, including Christine Kane, but also Lisa Bevere. And uh, Lisa Bevere is doing something that I haven't seen done except by mainline liberals, which I think is rather fascinating, and it has to do with the gay issue. And uh, what was the sin of Sodom? What is the sin of Sodom? And basically, she gives a half-truth. And so we'll take a look at that, because what she's basically trying to do is say, oh, no, 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 it's not about homosexuality, it's about something else. Well, it is about homosexuality, and it also is about something else as well that she brings up. So we'll take a look at that. And then hour number two, we're going to... um, Head down to uh, Potential Church. Now, this is a church that we have deemed, uh, based upon you know years ago when they changed their name, 
to I think they were like Flamingo Road Baptist Church, and they they were uh, the church uh, put you know was pastored by Dan Sutherland, and Dan Sutherland transitioned them from a traditional. A Baptist church into a seeker-driven, purpose-driven church, claiming that he had a vision from God. And then when he left that congregation, he put Troy Gramling in charge. Wow. Anyway, uh, Troy Gramling, I, you know, seriously, he could not, could not preach his way out of a paper bag if you gave him a flashlight and a map and a GPS system. Just he would never be able to get out of it. But anyway, so uh, he's... He's preaching on on um, on you can do it the the uh, the the latest book put out by Joel Osteen and some of the the Bible twisting he engages in I haven't quite seen before and uh, it 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 bears paying attention to especially what he does with uh, uh, Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount regarding the broad and narrow road I mean. Broad is the road that leads to fill in the blank. What what is it? You know, I'm not going to answer it right now. But broad is the road that leads to blank. What what's blank? And narrow is the road that leads to you know and you know answer the question. What is it? That, you know, you you should know this. I mean, if you're thinking, I don't know, I better look it up. It's in Matthew chapter seven, but um, it's absolutely fascinating that Troy Gramling takes that passage in Matthew chapter 7, uses the emergent church's quote-unquote translation called the voice and um, and doesn't talk about in reality what the text says as far as broad is the lo- road that leads to, and, and then fill in the blank. We'll talk about that in hour number two. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And since we're starting with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times update, that requires us to do this. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Thirty Eagles' tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Rapture comes at night or noon, doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Bum, bum. All right, that's uh, William Tapley uh, singing for his own <coughs> segment here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, his latest uh, video is entitled, Pope Francis Concludes Bishop's Synod. Pope Francis Concludes Bishop's Synod. And in this episode of his uh, YouTube um, video blog... William Tapley, the best way I can describe it is he talks about the Pope the way uh, guys, you know, the the uh, op-ed folks over at uh, Fox News talk about Obama. It's kind of fascinating if you listen to this. And uh, what's weird is, <laughs> of course, what he thinks is significant about what's going on in the Vatican at the moment. So uh, without any further ado, here's William Tapley to finally definitively weigh in on this Bishop Synod. Uh, here we go. Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. Today is Tuesday, October the 21st, 2014. And this past weekend, Pope Francis concluded his Synod of Bishops in the Vatican. However, as I have been saying for the last six months, you must discount Everything that comes out of the Vatican 
because Rome, the holy city, in Revelation 11:2, is being trampled under by the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, in this case, simply refers to those who are unfaithful to our Lord, Jesus Christ. However, I can report two items of good news. Pope Francis did not achieve his total agenda. First of all... So William Tapley thinks that Pope Francis's agenda, unstated, is to actually openly recognize homosexuality? Okay. The bishops did not vote to accept homosexuality, nor did they vote to give the Holy Eucharist to divorced and remarried Catholics. The bad news is, Pope Francis is only going to consider that a temporary setback. I am very sure that... Yeah, notice what how he's talking here. I mean... Apparently, uh, he's convinced that Pope Francis has an agenda, and uh, and what's happened to him is a temporary setback. It, it, it's as if you know Obama tried to push a piece of legislation through Congress, and it got stalled in the Senate or something like that. It's it's weird. Once the smoke settles, he is going to implement those two agendas, and I think you will find that he will allow bishops to accept homosexuality in their diocese, and allow divorced and remarried Catholics to receive Holy Communion. Now, the most important of these two objectives is the second one, in which people who are living in mortal sin will be allowed to receive the Eucharist. So that's the most important one. Now, by the way, um, <sighs> you know, this distinction between mortal sin and venial sin, yeah, this is a twisting of First uh, John, uh, by the way, and uh, don't have time to get into all of the details on that in this episode. Uh, but I find it fascinating that he thinks that giving communion to people who are divorced and remarried. Now, see, not all divorces are without grounds. You, you understand what I'm saying? So it's just fascinating. This is Satan's real objective. The homosexuality issue was primarily a smokescreen. Mm-hmm. So the homosexual thing is a smokescreen to blur what he's really up to, and that's to give communion to people who are divorced and remarried. Right. Of course, the news media was far more interested in promoting their gay agenda, but... Bible prophecy says that taking the daily sacrifice away from the prince is what concerns Jesus Christ much more. <laughs> so taking the daily sacrifice, he thinks of the mass as a sacrifice. Okay. And that is the reason he says that the great tribulation will be the worst time in the entire history of mankind. Because the daily sacrifice of the Mass will be stopped? How? this program, I want to explain how. Yes, how? Giving Holy Communion to people living in mortal sin, if that becomes the official policy of the Church, that will result 
in the abomination of desolation as prophesied by Daniel and warned about by our Lord in the Olivet Discourse. Okay, so please connect these dots because I don't see it. The taking away of the daily sacrifice from the prince. Doesn't take away mean to take away? (laughs) What's this taking away the daily sacrifice? Does not refer to ritual animal sacrifice in some kind of rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem as the false prophets like to loudly proclaim. Now, I agree with you there. That I don't think we're talking about a Jewish rebuilt temple uh, because Paul, uh, you know, his theology that the body of Christ is the temple of God. So I'm with you there that, you know, that what we, when we see the Antichrist arise, it's not that he's going to rise because there's a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, but because uh, instead that, uh, you know, that, you know, he's coming up through the ranks of Christendom. That's how I, I read that text. The temple, which the Antichrist sets himself up in the end times, is the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. Weird. I kind of agree with you. For many years, in fact, ever since I was a youth, I assumed the taking away the daily sacrifice would simply be some kind of law passed by the civil authorities. So you've been really focusing on eschatology since you were youth. They would close the churches. However, we now see that it is the bishops who are closing the churches, and I believe it is also the bishops who will take the daily sacrifice away from the people. And so you're, you think that Roman Catholic bishops are going to close Catholic churches and take away the Mass. I mean, I, I'm a Lutheran, and I'm having a tough time buying this. This is how it will be done. If the intention of the priest, who is consecrating the body and blood of our Lord out of bread and wine, is to give that communion to people living in mortal sin, our Lord will not enter into the sacred species. <laughs> so it's not a valid sacrament if the the intention of the priest's heart is uh, is bad. Oh man! Oh man! Oh yeah. Um, listen. These are battles that were actually fought a long time ago. You know, when we talk about the efficacy of the Lord's Supper, which is something that the church has discussed in its history, I mean, going way back, um, the church has always understood that uh, all of the people who preside at the Lord's Supper, well, they're sinners. And it's not based upon the worthiness of the person presiding at the Lord's Supper that makes the Lord's Supper efficacious. You know, um, what makes it efficacious is the Lord's words, the, the word of the Lord. Christ makes it efficacious. And every every single human being who has ever presided at the Lord's Supper from the, you know, from uh, basically not from Jesus, but after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, uh, every person who's presided at the Lord's Supper is a sinner. So, I mean, for him to say that, well, if the intention of his heart is evil, well, then that makes it an invalid sacrament. Oi, 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 oi. I mean, that's like saying, well, the intention of the priest was bad. You know, then 
and you know, and he and he baptized my nephew. Well, that means that the baptism. Well, well it's not valid. It's not, it's not how that works. Anyway, you kind of get the idea of what's going on there with William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times, and he's making all kinds of bizarre statements and now falling into ancient errors. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating to watch. Okay, moving along, we have a, a Christine Kane update, and I've been receiving many suggestions for Christine Kane update music, and here is what we have settled on. Here we go. Right, that's our new uh, Christine Kane update music. It's all about me. I think that's appropriate. Anyway, what we're going to be listening to is, well, a highlight reel, if you would, from Christine Kane's inspiring <laughs> speech at the Atlanta Woman Thou Art Loosed conference uh, recently concluded, held by uh, T.D. Jakes. Of course, she spoke for him. T.D. Jakes, the Word of Faith heretic who also denies the doctrine of the Trinity. He, he says, well, I believe in one God and three persons. If by persons you mean manifestations, and manifestations is what people who deny the Trinity, uh, who are modalists, <laughs> say that the the persons are, or, or is. Anyway... For another episode, you can look it up. We've talked about this on, on uh, Fighting for the Faith. Anyway, so to kind of set this up, let me read to you the text that supposedly she's teaching from and inspiring people from. It's Exodus chapter 8. We're right in the middle of the uh, plagues that are befalling Egypt. And here's what it says, Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. And the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into your houses of your servants, of your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and on all your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the river, over the canals and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me, and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. So Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. The frogs shall go away from your, from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. So the the big the- theological point is is that well, look at no uh, Pharaoh didn't say today or tonight. He said tomorrow. Why did Pharaoh want to stay one more night with those frogs and see if we're gonna read ourselves into these texts? <laughs> then 
If you are having troubles in your life, well, those are your allegorical frogs. And the Lord is sending Moses and Aaron in the form of Christine Cain to ask, when do you want your frogs removed from your life? Just say when. (laughs) This is one of the silliest narcissistic exegetical readings of scripture that I've ever heard. And so here is Christine Kane trying to inspire the women who showed up at this year's Atlanta Woman Thou Art Loosed conference. <laughs> yeah, and it just comes off as the worst inspirational speech ever. Here we go. But really, I didn't come to Women Thou Art Loosed in Atlanta in 2014 to sit here and have some kind of theological discourse about why several thousand years ago Pharaoh wanted to spend one more night with his frogs. I'm here to ask you, what are the frogs that are on you, in you, around you, that are surrounding you? (laughs) What What are the frogs that are in you, around you, surrounding you? Apparently, we've all got frogs. I mean, who's going to save us? That God has said, conference after conference, church service after church service, he's well able, he is willing to get rid of those frogs. (laughs) (laughs) This is so farce. I mean, with the dramatic music and her raising her voice. It's just the words that are coming out of her mouth are ridiculous. You know, God wants to get rid of your frog. What guilt, what addiction, what pain, what in your past has been on you, in you, around you, crippling you, paralyzing you, immobilizing you. And God says, you're in my house, you're under my anointing, you're listening to my word. I had no idea that the big, the big thing that's plaguing society today is frogs. Makes you spend one more night with your frogs in your life. What is it? What is it? I give in. I give in. I, I don't want to spend any more nights with my frogs. Oh, man. Okay. Sorry. I mean, to just... I mean, it's just so wrong. It's just the worst narcissistic reading of Exodus 8 combined with, like, melodramatic music and this woman shouting at you to give up. To, how many more nights do you want to spend with your frogs? Anyway, you get the point. Okay, we're off on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have a Hillsong update and then we also have a Lisa Bevere update. Uh, yeah, both of them on the gauge. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. Okay then, uh, Mr. Haas. The results of the test have come back. What are they, Doc? Uh, not good. That's what. What do you mean? What's wrong with me? Where do you want me to start? I is that all mine? That and the seven other stacks of paperwork just like it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. I guess we can start off with the good news. Okay. You don't have cancer. Oh, thank God. Funny that you'd say that. Why? Now, don't get ahead of yourself. As I said before, you don't have cancer. And that's about it for the good news. Ah! Moving on. This here is an x-ray of your esophagus and your stomach. Wait! What are those? Please, try to stay calm while I explain the prognosis. What? For the sake of contrast, I've included the same type of x-ray from a healthy patient. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Now, I've seen my fair share of cases like these, but nothing has ever compared to what you've got going on. Uh, are those... Yes. Those are pentagrams emblazoned on the unprotected skin of your esophagus. Is that the reason For that... your heartburn? Oh, no. Not even close. If you look closely, we've identified this black lump in your stomach as brimstone. That is the cause of your heartburn. And no, Nexium won't fix it. How can this be happening to me? Well, to put it simply... You've contracted a religiously transmitted disease. But how? Well, there are many ways. One of the more common ways is to preach heresy and to openly accept the teaching of the devil and his ways. But, 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 but... Oh, trust me, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Do you know how much sulfur we found in your colon? You found what in my what? Sulfur. You see, it's normal to find in some of the victims of possession. But you were something extraordinary. We found three whole pounds of it in there. Three pounds? Don't even get me started on the pH of your blood, though. Hoo-wee! That was some nasty stuff. Melted right through our equipment when one vial exploded in the centrifuge. Yes, sir. You've got yourself a really nasty religiously transmitted disease. What am I going to do? For starters, I would stop spewing those lies you pass off as sermons down at your church. That should start to alleviate some of the burning sensations. I on that note, I would suggest some good old-fashioned expository teaching because the only thing that's going to fight off this disease is the Word of God. I can't believe what I'm hearing! That's obvious. You certainly won't be able to unless the Father himself draws you. There's got to be an easier way! i got to ask you, have you considered baptism? What's that got to do with anything? Oh, I don't know. Circumcision of the heart not done by human hands for the forgiveness of your sins. Ring any bells? You're not being helpful! Well, if you don't want to do any of that, I guess all I can do is fill out your prescriptions. Here you go. What? What's a three-month supply of vision lack supposed to do? Oh, trust me. You're gonna need it.
Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith can cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your favorite charismatic multi-site church personality person, especially if all they care about is, well, you know, numbers rather than preaching the truth. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. They're right there in the middle of the page. And one says donate, the other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $8.95, that's it, to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Yeah, I think I butchered that. Okay, um, so what we're that's our money grubbing televangelist update, which by the way is the uh, music we play for men like, well, <clears throat> Brian Houston. He is one of them. Let me make sure I've got the author on this one. I think it's, uh, yep, it's Jonathan Merritt is the one who wrote this. This one's also from the Religion News Service. And the uh, headline reads, Hillsong's Brian Houston says church won't take public position on LGBT issues. And this is an important story. And uh, here's what uh, Jonathan Merritt writes. He says, Australia's Hillsong Church has locations around the world with tens of thousands in weekly attendance. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary President Albert Muller declared from his blog in June of 2014 
there is no third way on same-sex issues. By the way, Albert Muller is right. But Brian Houston, pastor of Hillsong Church, a globally funded uh, a family of congregations comprising more than 30,000 weekly attendees and millions of worship music album sales, apparently disagrees with Muller, at least for now. At a press conference for the Hillsong Conference in New York City, Michael Paulson of the New York Times asked Brian Houston to clarify their church's position on same-sex marriage, but Houston would not offer a definitive answer, instead saying that it was an ongoing conversation. Hmm, where have I heard those words before? Oh, I remember. I heard the terms ongoing conversation from men like Brian McLaren, men like Doug Paget. Men like Tony Jones, yeah, of the emergent church movement. Yeah, they would say, oh, this is an ongoing conversation. No, it's not. This is a truth that's revealed once for all in the text of Scripture. This is not an ongoing conversation. But Brian Houston's answer was, it was an ongoing conversation among church leaders, and they were on the journey with it, on a journey. So Houston says that he considers three things when evaluating the topic— Uh, There's the world we live in, there's the weight we live with, and there's the word we live by. He also notes (laughs) that the Western world is shifting its thinking on this issue and churches are struggling to stay relevant. Uh, See, that's kind of the issue. Churches are struggling to stay relevant. Since when did the gospel become irrelevant? When did Jesus's you know, commissioned to tell us to go out and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You know, when is that, how is that not relevant? That applies to every single human being, right? It's, oh, they're trying to entertain people, bring them in, you know, and what they're not doing is they're not preaching God's law. Hmm, why? Because, well, apparently you can't maintain your relevance when you're preaching the law, can you? So he notes that the Western world is shifting its thinking on the issue, and churches are struggling to stay relevant. The weight we live in, he added, referred to the context where the LGBT young people may feel rejected or shunned by churches, and and often leading to depression and suicide. But when Houston began speaking about the word we live by, or by what the Bible says, he refused to, uh, well, offer a concrete position. Yep, this is a major problem. Now, let me play for you uh, where Brian Houston, uh, earlier this year, made statements very similar to this, so you can kind of hear where he's coming from. Here's Brian Houston talking about the gay issue. There's some hope in this place today. I hope you realize the scandal of grace has won the way for you. Because the one elephant in the room for the church all around the world right now is the gay situation. What would Jesus do? Well, he tells us to call people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. So I think Jesus would call people to repent and to trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, including these sins. Jesus, you need to pray for church leaders and church pastors all around the world. Because whichever way you turn the scandal, you turn one way and you can tell him it'll be great scandal amongst the Christian church. You turn another way and... You just cut off so many people. That's the important words. You turn the other way. In other words, if you preach God's law and you say, listen, God's word reveals clearly and unambiguously that same-sex behavior and attraction and lust, this is all sin. You need to repent 
and be forgiven. Christ Jesus bled and died on the cross for these sins. If you say that, <laughs> you're going to cut off people and make the church less relevant. Let me back that up so you can kind of see what's going on in his mind. Here we go again. It'll be a great scandal amongst the Christian church. You turn another way and you just cut off so many people. and Cut off so many people. We've got market share to worry about, you know. And this is all that hatred out there. And in the middle of it all, you know, there's three things. The world or the times we live in. The weight we live with. And the word we live by. Think about that. The world has changed quickly. The world's changed. And so I'm not saying that the church ever should be ruled by the way of the world. But the reality is we're in a world that is changing fast. You know what's funny is is that this reminds me of when Brian McLaren, you know, when he was challenged, what did, what did he believe regarding homosexuality? Was it a sin or not? And his response pretty much was to declare a moratorium on the topic. We, we're, we're still in conversation about this. This is exactly what the emergent church did. You know what they ended up doing? Affirming it. Yeah. In Great Britain now, the laws have passed. The world is changing. We've got the world we live in to consider. We've got the weight we live with. You yeah, we do have the world to consider because at this point we've been given a message. The message is that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the grave for our justification. And Jesus, in Luke 24, 47, says to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. It's pretty difficult to proclaim repentance in Jesus' name if people don't know what they're repenting of. And this includes all sin. Homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, lying, thieving, you, you just coveting, idolatry, the whole spectrum of sin is covered in this. And we have to faithfully proclaim God's law. Otherwise, I mean, what does, does repentance make any sense? Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Okay, so you tell somebody, hey, listen, you know, uh, repent. R repent of what? What do you want me to repent of? Um, I... I um, well, I, I, I don't want to say. Why not? Uh, well, why don't you come to my church and, and we'll show you how much I, uh, we love you. And you can, and after you feel so accepted by us, then, then you want to make a decision for Jesus. But you just said to repent. I, I didn't mean it. I, 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 we're, we're in the middle of a conversation right now. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I spoke out of turn. It wasn't my turn to talk in the conversation. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, see, um, listen, if we have the world to consider, we have to consider this. They're on their way to hell. There's just no two ways about it. If they're not brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, it's an eternity in the lake of fire. Yeah, I understand that Rob Bell in the whole Love Wins book would, would beg to differ with me. But, see, the thing is is that it's not me. It's not my opinion. This is what God's Word says. So, uh, yeah, we have the world to consider. So if we really love our neighbors out in the world, we have to do the tough thing. But, oh, if, if we do the tough thing, there's people who are going to be angry at us, and our church may not grow into huge megachurches, and we won't be able to sell millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, praise song music. Yeah, but at least your neighbor will be in, in heaven. At least your neighbor will be with Christ. At least your neighbor will expect, will have eternal life with Jesus rather than eternal death in the lake of fire. You, you, you see what I'm saying here? That weight, well, it's the weight when a young person growing up in a church 
feels like they're confused in their sexuality. They feel, baby, I'm gay. They go to a youth leader. They're, they're, they're being tempted. Yes, they, they need to be told that Jesus bled and died for these sins. At that moment, a great hatred comes in. At that moment, some of them have gone as far with the rejection of parents who didn't understand as committing suicide. That's the weight we live with. You, you mean if, you know, what, what the Apostle Paul says, am I your enemy now for telling you the truth? I mean, so there's a possibility that somebody's going to become our enemy because we tell them the truth? I mean, isn't that exactly what Scripture tells us and prepares us for? You know, and here you're worried that we're not going to reach them if we tell them the truth. The reality is you haven't reached them with the gospel if you don't tell them the truth. And if they become your enemy because you've told them the truth, they're still in the same position they were before. But if they're brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins um, because you've told them the truth and they've heard the gospel, well, then they're better off. But see, the thing is, is that the only way for them to get to the point where they're brought to penitent faith in Christ is for you to tell them the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's the world we live in. There's the weight we live with. And there's the word we live by. And they don't all necessarily align. And of course, the word we live by, many people have various convictions. But in the middle of it all, I know that Jesus when it comes to people, would let nothing stop them from breaking through a divide to help hurting, broken, everyday, normal people like you and I. Yeah, see, the thing is, is that the truth that it's a sin is not the thing that divides them from Christ. They're already sinners and they're already divided from Christ. So, yeah, um, yeah, boy, this is just a, this is a mess. All right, we are at the end of hour number one, so I'm going to have to save the Lisa Bevere uh, segment for tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and we're going to go to our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian quick break when we come back we're going to head down to potential church to see if they're a church yet they're just a church in potentia but uh, see if uh, troy grambling can uh, figure out how to execute a biblical text stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back we don't need to rethink christianity we need to rediscover it you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Hey! Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! 
never fear nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. So fill in the blank. Broad is the road that leads to blank. And fill in the other blank. Narrow is the road that leads to blank. Now you think you know what that text says, right? It's from Matthew chapter 7. Well, wait till you see what Troy Grambling, well actually hear what Troy Grambling does with this text. But let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via potential church a church in potential they're not really a church anymore they're trying to become a church but well their pastor seems to be keeping them from being a church anyway the name of the sermon we're going to be reviewing is against all odds and troy grambling no joke is going to basically take sermon time to tease out the major themes in Uh, Joel Osteen's latest book. In fact, uh, the church there, actually the church in Potentia, they're not really a church, uh, Potential Church, they um, handed out to everybody who attended a free copy of the latest Joel Osteen book, which should give you an idea as to how theologically, doctrinally sound they are down there in Cooper City, Florida. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And uh, without any further ado... Here is Troy Grambling in his sermon entitled Against All Odds. And again, pay attention to what he does with the text from Matthew, where Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to blank. Yeah, you pay attention to how he fills in that blank. Here we go. See you, man. If you're a guest, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Want to welcome you. Want to welcome all those at all of our campuses. If you're here for the first time, You know, we have several folks who worship with us on the other side of the cameras in northern Florida, in the northeast, um, Hollandale, just all over the place, the South America, the Caribbean. So it's a pretty cool deal that we are not alone. We are getting to worship. And, of course, tell You know, actually, it's not a good thing that uh, you're spreading your false doctrine and your Bible twisting to so many people around the world. So if you would, would you join me in welcoming all of our other campuses here with us today? Can we do that? Yes. It is a special weekend. If you're here for the very first time, we've got an incredible gift for you. Pastor Joel's new book that came out last week is free. If you didn't pick it up on the way in, I hope you'll pick it up. Yeah, that would be Joel Osteen's latest book. Up on the way out, we'd love to give it to you. And the title is called You Can and You Will. Would you say that with me? You can. 
Those are powerful words, aren't they? You said that very good, by the way. That's awesome. Those are powerful words because it doesn't just start with you can or stop with you can, but it goes on to you will. Let's say that one more time. You can. Now we're going to say it again, but before we do, I want you to think about what does that mean? What does that say to you? And, and I mean this, what can you do and what will you do? What is it that's going through your mind? Is it starting a business? Is it reconciling a relationship? Is it growing in your relationship with God? Is it seeing your son or daughter come back? Is it getting married? Is it finishing college? What is it that when you see those words or you read those words that comes into your heart or into your head? Think about that for a moment. Let that percolate for just a moment. What is it that you want to do and you hope to do? Because we're going to say it again, but we're not going to say it to the person beside us. We're going to say it to ourselves. We're going to remind ourselves that we can and that we will. And as we do, I want you to think about whatever that is. Maybe you've given up on it. Maybe you're... Just think what it is. Uh, You can and you will. Okay, I can put a stop to all the heretics that have infested the American church. And I will, will, by the help of God drive them out, and and eventually nobody will listen to people like Troy Gramling and Joel Osteen. Instead, they will only be listening to sound biblical exegetes who preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I can and I will. Battling for it. But whatever that is, put it on your heart, put it on your mind. Let's say it again with with, with passion, with conviction, and with a sense of confidence. You ready? Here we go. You can... You can and you will. Now, when I looked at the book, I remember months ago, Pastor Joel was getting ready to do an interview on, it was on Fox, and we were standing backstage, and he was talking about the title and how he should title it, what he should call it. And there were a lot of different uh, things that we talked about, and you think, you can. You can talks about potential. It, it, It talks about you have the possibility it's possible because you can. There is the pot- now. Just a reminder: the job of a pastor is to preach the word, not preach the latest book published by Joel Osteen or even himself. Potential because you can. But what if you were to turn the second phrase of the book around? Instead of "you can," "you will." What if it were "you can," "will you"? Because just because you have potential, just because you have possibility, doesn't mean that it will happen. There are lots of athletes and athletic teams and business people and attorneys and doctors and salespeople, moms and dads who have all kinds of potential. I mean, the possibilities are off the chart, but they never, they never get there. They never quite reach their potential. So even though you can, will you? Will you live that dream? Will you accomplish that for which you were created? Will you experience your... your? Will you live that dream? Oh, yeah, because you know, this is what Christianity is all about, you living a dream. Yeah, I don't think so. Now, he answers it in the second line of the book. He says, you can and you will. And when you read that, you will, that moves us forward, doesn't it? We're going to spend some time this weekend talking about you can, you will succeed. And if you think about it in that light, as I was this week, and I wrote down, you will succeed. So that moves possibility to expectation. You will. 
Not just you can, but you will. So now it's not just the possibility that I'm going to succeed, but it's the expectation that I'm going to succeed. It's not just the potential that I'm going to succeed. It's the actual accomplishment. And I love the way the title moves you in that process. You can and you you will. Now, I want to say that to every single one of us that are here. You can and you will. When I was in high school, senior in high school, I started playing basketball in sixth grade, kind of late nowadays, but for six years, and we were went into my senior year with lots of potential, lots of possibility. The year before, we'd had a good year. We played all summer long. We played AAU. We went to all the camps. I mean, we were expecting state championships, college scholarships. We had tremendous possibility, tremendous expectations. In my junior year, we had went to high in the tournaments. I think like runner-up in four or five tournaments, so we expected to win them all. Senior year, we got to six games. We had played six games. And our record was three and three. That's a lot lower than the potential we thought we had. We weren't quite reaching the possibilities that we had dreamed of. And to be honest, I was quite discouraged. I mean, I was just a teenager and basketball is what I loved. And the dream seemed a long ways away. The potential that was there now seemed impossible. I'll never forget, my dad came in one night after practice. We were three and three, and he began to talk to me. It wasn't something normally that my dad did. My dad wasn't the rah-rah type, nor was he actually the let's sit down and talk son type. But that night he chose to do it. And so I remember our conversation. And as he got up to leave, he didn't say the exact words of that title, but I do remember what I felt as he walked out of my bedroom door, is that, Troy, you can. That where you are is not where you have to end. That how you started the season is not how you have to finish the season. You can do this, Troy. But he didn't leave it there. You will do this. I believe in you, Troy. And I believe in all the preparation, and I believe in all the practice, so not only can you you will. I'll never forget that. It's been a long time, 30 years ago, I guess now. When Steph and I first moved to South Florida, we had come from Little Rock where we hadn't quite reached our potential. We moved there with great possibility. We went from a small town in which we had started a church. and it... Who, Who's he preaching about? And notice the theme, we haven't reached our potential. Potential church which is really not a church, it's just a church in Potentia. They exist to help people achieve or reach their God-given potential rather than to call them to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This is a problem, don't you think? On real well, and we wanted to be where there was movement and action and people and opportunity, and the denomination that we were a part of invited us to come to the capital of Arkansas, Little Rock, and to begin a church. They were going to put in the finances and help us provide the facility and help with staffing, all those kinds of things. We got there. The kids started a brand-new school, and then the denomination decided, well, it was just too difficult, and they backed away. And so we came here to South Florida quite discouraged because in Little Rock, we didn't reach our possibilities. When we came here, of course, the the home, we lived in a a mobile home, nothing wrong with that, other than it was a lot different than the house that we owned in Arkansas. Our our lives were a lot more stressful and and, uh, it was just a difficult, difficult time. And the one thing Steph and I prayed for when we moved here was that God would give us friends. I mean, real friends. 
And there was a businessman who would take me out uh, eat almost every week. And we, he owned a restaurant, actually, and we'd have lunch together. And we'd talk and we'd share and he'd talk about what he was stressed about. And I shared some of the difficult things that Steph and I were going through. And again, I remember so clearly that he would look at me and he'd say, Troy, you you can. I know what happened in Little Rock and I know uh, how you're feeling and I know the situation that you're in, but you can. But he didn't stop with you can. He said you will. And he began to share with me what he believed that God would do in my life. And each week I would walk out of that restaurant with a little more confidence in the dream that God had put in my heart many, many years ago. You can and you will. I want to speak those words into your life. I don't know if anybody's ever spoke those words to you. We live in an I can't society. And there's probably people have told you there are things that you can't do. But I hope that you'll walk out those doors with a new understanding that you can. But I'm not going to leave you there. And what does this have to do with biblical Christianity? I want you to feel like you can, you have confidence that you can. This has nothing to do with a crucified and risen Savior. In fact, I don't need a crucified and risen Savior for any of this. I want to challenge you that not only can you, but that you, you, you will. So if you would, pull out that outline that you got when you came in. You say, well, Troy, how do you know I can? You don't even know me. This is my first time here. Troy, I've never really met you or shook your hand. I mean, how do you know that I can? Well, the reason I know you can, if you'll look at the outline that I gave you, is because of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. Ephesians 2.10. Notice we're getting to an important section of Ephesians, and he's ripping it completely out of context. We'll look at the context in a second. It says, God made us what we are. So we didn't make ourselves, we didn't fall out of a tree, we didn't wash up on the shore somewhere. God made us who we are. And in Christ Jesus, God made us to do what? Good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. So, Yeah, and by the way, Ephesians explains what a good work is. I mean, see, he's equating good works with God putting some special purpose on your heart that you're supposed to fulfill. No, Ephesians goes on to explain what uh, a good work is. What's a good work? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. This is what a good work is, okay? If you think a good work is you, you know, finding some old uber dream purpose, you know, that God's supposed to lay in your heart so that you can, you know, tap into your full potential, you have an unbiblical view of what a good work is. A good work is something actually pretty mundane. Because we here are called to love and serve our neighbor. So we love and serve our neighbor in the vocations that God has put us into. Are you a husband? That's a vocation God has put you into. Be a good one. Love your wife. Be faithful to your wife. Cherish your wife. Don't be harsh with her. And wives, are you a wife? Well, God's put you into a godly vocation. That means that you are to submit to your husband. This is what scripture says. And uh, and you need, and if, are you a, mother or a father, then you need to be godly parents and raise your children in the faith and teach them the word of God. This is a good work. Are you an employee? Be a good one. Be a obedient, hardworking, productive employee. All to the glory of God. You know, this is what it means when, you know, Paul says, slaves obey your masters. Now, many of us are not slaves, but you see, we all have to consider ourselves as servants of others. 
So you kind of get the idea there. That's what it means to do a good work. But he's quoting Ephesians 2, verse 10. 2, verse 10. But let's put that back in context. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1, and we'll read to verse 10. Here's what it says. And you, you, you Christians in the church in Ephesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and we were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice, yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, is about being dead in trespasses and sins and being saved by grace through faith. And now that we are saved and made alive in Christ, we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? God's. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not a dream purpose, not some destiny, but created for good works. That's the idea. So what Troy Gramling is doing here is skipping all that justification by grace alone through faith alone stuff because he doesn't know what to do with it and just focusing in on that two times. Oh, created in, uh, for good works. And and now he's going to obligatory, you know, seeker-driven guys. It's an absolute obligation to quote now the message paraphrase in this uh, from this text. God didn't wait till you were born and think, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with this guy? How am I going to find a place for her? No, no. The scripture says, and I've told uh, you on many, many occasions, that when God looks into the future and he sees a challenge, a baby is born. There was... God looks into the future and he sees a challenge. A baby is born. Seven billion little challenges. Okay. Day and a year in which you were that baby. God looked into the future and he saw a challenge and he created you. You have a plan. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. And it is something of significance. And not only do I know that there are good works in which for you to do, I know that you and I have everything we need to accomplish that for which we were created. I love the way, if you look at the other translation that I put there for the same scripture, the New Living Translation, it says, for we are God's what? masterpiece. Not just that God made us, but that we're God's masterpiece. So I know you can. Whatever the dream is, whatever the destiny is, whatever the purpose is. I Yeah, I have no clue what it is. You know, despite the fact that if the book of Ephesians actually explains what good works are, just read the last half of Ephesians. You'll know what a good work is. Oh, you can start that business. I know you can reconcile that relationship. I know you can graduate from school. I know you can see the reconciliation of the relationship with your child. I know you can. Not because Joe wrote a book that said you can. I know you can because God said that you could. Now, for many of us, that's encouraging because you've been doubting yourself. 
I know there are times when I do. <laughs> so I need to not doubt. I need to believe in myself. Where does Scripture tell me to do that? I have to be reminded. God said I could. For others of us, it's, it's a little frustrating to be honest. Because that's been your excuse. I can't. It's the reason you haven't went for it. It's the reason you haven't taken the risk. You've been telling everybody you can't. You didn't graduate from the right school, so you can't. You don't have enough money in the bank. You, you can't. You're too old. You, you can't. You're too young. I can't. I've made too many mistakes in the past. I can't. And so year after year, you've told yourself as well as those around you that you can't. And it's almost a little bit frustrating that somebody would dare stand and say, you're lying to yourself. It's a lie. Yeah, what's the lie is that you think that this is sound doctrine. This is not what the Bible teaches. You can. You can. You say, Troy, you don't understand where I've been. You can. Troy, you don't understand how little I have. You can. Troy, you don't understand how many people I've hurt. You can. Because God says you can. And he's... Yeah, actually, Ephesians 2.10, just because you read it from the message paraphrase and, uh, and, you know, another translation, it actually doesn't say what you're trying to make it say. If you read it in context, it's not saying that at all. All-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. And I know you can. You can. So the question is not, can you? The question is, will you? Because the odds are against you. That's what we're calling this series, Against the Odds. Because while all of us can, all of us, not the good ones, not the smart ones, not the ones with a lot of money in the bank, not the ones with nice cars in the parking lot. No, all of us can. Now, most of us won't. Look again at the scripture that I gave you, or the outline that I gave you, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking here, and he says there are two paths. Okay, now this, i got to explain what's going on here. He's on the screen, you know, projected at uh, Troy Gramling's uh, church in Potentia, uh, is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 from the Emergent Churches translation. Yes, have you heard of the translation called The Voice? Yeah. The people who put that thing out at the time when it was published and being translated were the uh, coup de, de gras. I don't know. They were the creme de la creme of the emergent church movement. I think even Brian McLaren helped translate some of the uh, books in The Voice. So what does this tell you about the theology that's ticking under the hood here? Now, let me ask you the question, okay? I've been, I've been kind of teasing you with this. Fill in the blank. Broad is the road that leads to blank. Broad is the road that leads to blank. What's Fill in the blank. What's the blank? Well, let's take a look at the ESV, which is a good translation. And here's what the ESV says. Hang on a second here. Actually, I pulled up Ephesians and I forgot to get over to uh, Matthew. Here it is. Here it says, Matthew 13, red letters, Jesus speaking. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's what the text says. 
Now, let me read to you from the Emergent Church's translation called The Voice and see if you notice something here. In fact, I would describe this as burying the punchline. (laughs) This is what it reads in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. There are two paths before you. You may take only one path. One doorway is narrow. One door is wide. Go through the narrow door. For the wide door leads to a wide path, and the wide path is broad. The wide, broad path is easy, and the wide, broad path, the wide, broad, easy path has many people on it. But the wide, broad, easy, crowded path leads to death. (laughs) Remember, broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. That, that's what the ESV says. And by the way, the, the reason why the ESV says that is because it's a faithful translation. L- l- listen again. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Straight to the point. But this emergent church version of, you know, a translation called The Voice I mean, they purposely bury the point about the broad road leading to death but under this, this the weight of all this obfuscation. Now, it's funny because what Troy Gramling does in the sermon, he ends up quoting The Voice, published by the Emergent Church guys. And, you know, he'll eventually get to the uh, the punchline because the, the Voice's translation eventually gets to it. But watch what he does with this. I mean, Jesus' words are so simple. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. It's just straight up that simple. But that's not what Troy Grambling is going to do with this. So here we go. Jesus is speaking here, and he says there are two paths before you, each and every one of us. Now, you may take only one path. So there are two directions you can go, and you have to choose which one. One doorway is narrow, and one doorway is wide. Jesus says, go through the narrow door, for the wide door leads to a wide path, and the wide path is broad. The wide, broad path is easy, and the wide, broad, easy path has many, many people on it. But the wide, broad, easy, crowded path leads to what? Now then, the narrow door leads to a narrow road that in turn leads to what? It's hard to find that road. Not many people manage to do so. All right. So, I mean, even the voice eventually gets to the fact that the broad road leads to death or destruction. So what kind of death and destruction is this talking about, Troy? So while we can, while you can, I can, the odds are against you because most people don't. While we we can, the odds are against me? You mean like, shouldn't you be saying, while we, while we still have breath in our lungs, we need to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what it means to be on the narrow path. You know that, right? Most people don't live their dream. And mo- most people don't accomplish their... Jesus wasn't talking about living your dream when he said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Destiny. Most people don't live out their purpose with a sense of blessing and joy and peace and excitement and passion. But you can. 
This text has nothing to do with that. Then begins to kind of unwind for us how we go about this journey. And that's really what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about how do we go against the odds so that we not only can, but we do. And if you want to jot this down, if we're going to do what we can do, well, then we have to see that we were created to succeed. What we see is important. Proverbs 29, 18. I memorized this scripture when I was young. So I memorized it in the King James Version. It says, without a vision, people what? People perish. Yeah, that's Proverbs 29, verse 18 that you're misquoting because you're only quoting half of it. Let me read it. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, comma, but blessed is he who keeps the Torah, the law. Uh huh. The prophetic vision here that's being discussed has nothing to do with God giving you a vision for your purpose. The, the thing that people are missing that causes them to cast off restraint or to perish is the written word of God. That's what this text says, and that's what it means because it means what it says here. You're just misquoting it. You're leaving off the important little bit that would make people understand that what's missing is, it, you know, the vision that is t- talked about here is the written word of God. Well, what is a vision? It's the ability to see. You, you can't just know. You have, to, you have to see. You have to see that you were created to succeed. Even though the world may say you can't, no, I can see that I, that I can't. Because without that vision, people perish. Yeah, you're twisting this passage too. You've twisted every text you've touched. In other words, they do not live their purpose. They do not accomplish their dream. Yeah, that's not what this text is talking about at all, and that's not what Christianity is about. They do not experience the reconciliation. They never start the business. They never graduate from school. The New Century Version translates that same passage, where there is no word from God, people are uncontrolled. The NIV says, where there's no word from God, people cast off restraint. So, so we, ha- we have to be able... We have to be able to, to see. Now, let's... Yeah, and the seeing here is the ability to see and read the Word of God, the written Word of God. Make it a little more personal, because it's easy sometimes to think about, you people need to have a vision, or that organization needs to have a vision. But let's make it personal. I wrote it like this in, in my uh, journal here. When you can't see, you wander. And when you wander, your life becomes crooked. What I mean by that is that where you are today is not where you want to be tomorrow, is it? I mean, you want to have a better marriage tomorrow. No matter how good a marriage you have today, you want to have a better one tomorrow. No matter how many resources you have today, you want to have more tomorrow. No matter how good a relationship you have with your kids, you want to have a better one tomorrow. No matter what place you hold in the company, you want to get a promotion tomorrow. So where you are today is not where you want to be tomorrow. So you and I have to begin with a vision, with a, the ability to see not where we are or where we've been, but where we're going. Because if we don't, we wonder. Just kind of. When Steph and I first got married in the summertime, I took care of the softball fields in our city. And I, you know, scheduled the league, got umpires, umpired myself, and I worked on the fields. And that I would line the fields. 
let me show you what I mean, okay? Because we happen to be, you know, within the postseason of baseball. How many of you are Kansas City fans? Two? Raise their hands. They're not very much, they're not loud Kansas City fans. But how about Baltimore? All right, four or five. How many of you are St. Louis fans? Cardinals? All right. How about San Francisco? How? Evidently, you just give no care to baseball. All right. But let me, so let me explain it to you. That big yellow pole is called the foul pole. You see the white line? Okay. It goes from the foul pole all the way to the back corner of home plate. And anything to the right of that foul pole or to the right, it's um, your right, okay? If you look over to the right of that line is a foul ball. The runners can't run. It's considered a strike. Now, what would happen is that it was my responsibility to draw that line from the back corner of home plate to the foul pole. And what you normally would do is you would run a string from the foul pole to the back corner. And then you would take this little machine and you'd put this white powder in it. It was lime. And you would just follow the string all the way. And then you'd have a straight line. But there happened to be occasions. You won't tell anybody. When I was running a little late and I didn't run the string. So I can do this. How hard is it to do? And I put the lime in and I got the little machine and I watched really closely and I went really slow. And then I would get to the end and I would turn around and I'd realize that my line kind of was wavy. It was crooked. I think a lot of times our lives are that way. And it's simply because we don't see where we're going. We don't have a vision for where we're going. And I don't have time to spend a whole lot here, right? Some of you are glad I don't have a lot of time, but if you would happen to enjoy a lot of time, I encourage you to come on Saturday when we have more time. So I'm just going to give you these blanks and real quickly explain this to, to you. What, what is it that you need to see? Well, I put it in your outline is that you need to, first of all, see what God's done because what's the greatest temptation in your life? If you can live your dream, If you can accomplish your destiny, if you can start that business, if you can graduate from college, then what's the greatest temptation is that you will quit. It's the only way you don't succeed. It's the only way. The only way you fail is if you give up. It's if you quit the job, you give up on the marriage, you quit trying to start the business. Are you going to tell these people about the fact that they're sinners in need of a savior? You're going to tell them about the broad road that leads to destruction. You mentioned it. You said it led to death. That's what the voice translation eventually it ends up saying. But you don't have a clue. The death that's being referred to is hell. You're, you're worried about the business. You're trying to teach people to go after the dream and whatever. Or whatever. You need to tell them that they need to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Otherwise, they're on the broad road still. Throw in the towel. And so you and I must be able to see so that we don't quit. And we not only want to be able to see, you know, the the foul pole, but we want to be able to see God's faithfulness in the past. I put some scripture there in your outline. It's basically when the people of God go into the promised land after they had failed to do so. And so they wandered. God said, I want you to pick up 12 stones when you cross the Jordan of River. 
And I want you to put them, pile them up at your camp so that when your kids say, hey, daddy, what's that? You can remind them of how I took you into the promised land. And the promised land is a picture for abundance. It's a picture, a picture of your success. God, isn't it cool? God's- yeah, no, the promised land is not a picture of your abundance and a picture of your success. Typologically, it's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And it's Joshua, Jesus, who brings us into that. I want you to have a symbol to remind people that I do what I say I'm going to do. Because you and I are wired in such a way, and the enemy knows it, to come in and try to get us to forget that God's faithful. Well, I might as well just give up. It's never going to happen. Can I tell you how many times I've failed? Can I tell you how many times it's gone wrong? And so God says, what I want you to do is I want you to make some visual reminders that God was faithful in the past. Now, that takes intentionality. That takes time. That takes energy. Most people don't do it because most people don't go against the odds. Most people take the broad road, the easy road, the road that runs downhill. They'd never take the time to come up with those images or those symbols. For me, there are a whole lot of them that I shared on Saturday, but I'll just point one out to you right now. Is, is just a journal. I mean, I've been journaling for years. This is from 2002. And I can go into this and I can begin to see. So far, he's twisted every biblical text he's touched and he tells us a lot about himself. He wants us to focus on temporal success and, and abundance and uh, follow his example because he journals. Yeah, wow. Yep, this is the, uh, the church that uh, Dan Sutherland used to pastor. And this is the man that was hand-chosen by Dan Sutherland to succeed him. We continue. And read how that God was faithful in the past. And if God was faithful in the past, God's going to be faithful in the future. If he's done it in the past, he can do it in the future. I can't tell you how many times when I've been discouraged that I'll pick up one of these journals and I'll just start to read. And I'll read, you know, some of them are quite depressing, to be honest with you. Like, man, I was really down. But then I turn the page and I see that, that God came through and he did something that I forgot about. And the enemy wanted to make sure that I never remind, remembered. But this reminds me. I don't always feel like journaling, but I journal because I don't want to quit on the dream that God's put inside of my heart. I don't want to quit on the destiny for which I was created. Do you have some of those reminders? So your destiny is to fill people's heads with false doctrine and point them away from Jesus? Yeah, I'm sure that was a God-given dream. Do you have some things in your life that you have intentionally put in place to remind you, whether it's the 12 stones or a journal or something else that just reminds you God was faithful? God saw me through that. Not only do we need to see what God has done in the past, but we also need to see the promises that God has made for the future. Again, I put the scriptures there in your outline. And what were they? Well, in the Old Testament, God made a promise to Abram that he'd be a great nation. He didn't have any kids, but he said, you're going to be a great nation. And he said, Abram, go out and look at the stars. He says, you see all those stars? You're going to have more descendants than stars in the sky. Then he took him out into the, to the wilderness. 
and said, you see all that dust? And if you've ever been to Israel, I'm telling you, there is a, it's a dirty place, okay? I mean, dusty. It reminds me of the outskirts of Lima, Peru. Just dust everywhere. He says, you see all that dust? He says, you're going to have more descendants than the grains of the, of the sand. And so every time, the things that Abram saw the most of, because they didn't have city lights back in that day. He'd walk outside and he'd see the stars and he'd be reminded, God's promised me that I'll be a great nation. He'd look down and he'd see the dirt or he'd wash it off of his, off of his feet or maybe wash it from his hands. And at every grain, he'd be reminded that God said, I'm going to be a great nation. Do you have those things in your life? Yeah, uh, again, the, uh, the promise that was really given to Abraham pertains to the Messiah, the promised one who would bless all of the earth, you know, who was the descendant of Abraham. Not that you know, this was not told so that we would follow Abraham's example and then we would have a dream or a vision that God would give to us. You're missing the whole point of Scripture here. That you see that are reminders of the promises that God's made for you in the future? And the book, Pastor Joel kind of talks about this issue a little bit. And he talks about if it's a home, maybe it's a set of keys that, that you look at and you're reminded that one day you're going to be able to, to have that home. Or, or maybe it's a child and you put a reminder there. Or maybe it's a, a business and you put some kind of reminder. I can tell you at, at Steph and I's house, we have, we have a brick some of you have been around for a while may have one of these bricks as well. It's got our Temple Centurion logo here. And it reminds me of three numbers that if you hang out with us, you're going to see on several occasions, 50, 100, and 150. Those are the handles for the mission of partnering with people to reach their God potential that God's given us, that we believe that we'll have 50 campuses reaching 100,000 people with $150 million each year to change the world. That's a big number. That's a big impact because we're not interested in building a large church. We really want to make a difference in the world. We want to see less marriages broken in pain. We want to see less crime. We want to see less uh, children that are hurting or hungry. We want to make a difference in then eternally more people in heaven. Yeah, the eternally more people in heaven, that requires you to actually proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name like Jesus told us to in Luke twenty four forty seven. And it gets discouraging. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, just like you, I, I get discouraged. Sometimes I wonder, does it really matter? We do all these services and all these campuses, and, and, and is, is, is it really making a difference? Are there things that are really happening? God, will we ever get there? It, it gets so tiring. Then it's in those times that I look at a brick. We keep in our bathroom, I guess, because that's where we go a lot, all right? And I look at it and I'm reminded, this is not my dream, this is God's dream. And God said, we can. And one day, we will, if we just don't give up. And on those days when I feel like giving up, and I feel like doing something different, and I feel like just surrendering, that I see a reminder of God's promise. 
that he will not as promise found in scripture you know like the promise of the forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with god you know stuff like that full pardon and peace uh, no no uh, the, the vision that god laid on his heart to make a difference in the world to help people find their full potential why would god lay that on troy gramling's heart when he's supposedly a pastor wouldn't his job be to preach the word and proclaim christ and him crucified for our sins Finish what he starts, that he will complete what he begins. Do you have those things in your life? Because if you don't, you will quit. I see it all the time. I see people who quit on their dreams all the time. I see people who quit on their spiritual walk with God all the time. I've been here for 14 years. You know how many people have come and gone in those 14 years? They had great dreams. They wrote them down. They sent them to me. They talked to me about them in the lobby. And then when a matter of a few years, they've given up on them. They've quit. They've surrendered. They've stopped. They've turned it in. They've thrown in the towel. Not because they couldn't, because God said they could. It's because they didn't. Because you've got to be able to see it. Well, since you used uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it said broad is the road that leads to destruction, although you used a weird, really weird translation that kind of engaged in obfuscation. Uh, since, does that mean they're going to be destroyed if they don't live their purpose? I mean, that's what the implications are of how you use Matthew 7. And if you don't see what God has done in the past and you don't see what God has promised in the future, the odds are against you and you might quit. What you see is important. But not only is what you see, but also what you say. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, interesting passage of Scripture. God comes to Abram and he's going to be this great nation. He says, tells him again, Abram, it's going to be awesome. Woo, it's going to be a great nation. Do you ever feel like that sometimes about your dream? You read a book, you hear a teaching, you read a passage of Scripture. I mean, who reads the story of Abraham and goes, Woo, God's given me a dream. I feel just like Abraham. Woo, talk about narcissism. He comes to him and says, Abram, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to happen. And Abram's like, God, I don't have any kids yet. I'm an old man. How in the world am I going to be a great nation when I don't even have any kids yet? And God reminds him of the stars and he reminds him of the stand. And if you look at the scriptures that I gave you, Abram says these words. He says, I believe. But it's not just the words, I believe, like you and I might say the word believe. It's the word in its root that is the word amen. When somebody says something and somebody says amen, and what that amen literally means is I declare. So Abraham's not just saying, God, yeah, I'm... (laughs) So he said amen, but what that really means is I declare. And isn't that the name of one of Joel Osteen's books? And that'll happen. No, he's saying, I believe, I declare it. No. Oh, man, this is awful. I will be a great nation. I might be an old man, and I might not even have one child yet, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords has said, I'll be a great nation. And so I'm not hoping that it will happen. I am declaring that it will. And you, Boy, he's twisted every single passage he's, t- he's touched, every single one of them. That's what the devil does. This is demonic. This is not, this is not godly. It's not Christian. It's flat out narcissistically demonic. I, you and I have to speak it. It takes courage. 
to get off the couch. Hope stays on the couch. There are a lot of... We got to speak it. So Troy Gramling teaching the word of faith heresy now. ...that are hoping, you know, to get a raise. We're hoping that things will work out. Hope demands nothing of you. Declaration does. Belief does. I also put the wisdom writer's words in your outline, Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Anytime I see the word reap, I think of the the passage in Galatians that says, whatsoever you sow, you will also reap. There are so many people who are not accomplishing their dream, living their death. Yeah, when Paul says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, the, you, know, the, you know, the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction, that kind of thing. What one, you know, he's not talking about reaping what you sow is in regards to going after your dream, destiny, and purpose. Again, you've twisted every single text you've touched. Destiny, living out their purposes... <laughs> Because they're getting what they're speaking. I mean, you can go to almost any break room in America. You can go to any doctor's lounge, teacher's lounge, executive's lounge. And you don't have to be there very long at all before you're going to hear negativity. You're going to hear somebody complaining about their supervisor, complaining about their boss, complaining about their spouse, complaining about their kids, talking about how it's unfair, talking about our political leaders. I mean, you're just going to hear all this negativity. And you know what? They're getting exactly what they're prophesying. Any any surprise our world is such a critical negative place? God says, hey, be careful what you say because your tongue is taking you somewhere. It's leading you somewhere. And he says it has the ability to lead to life or to lead to death. But whatever it is that you speak. And by the way, this death and life are in the power of the tongue bit. We covered this this week as well when we talked about Robert Morris and his twisting of that text. Again, every single text. Troy Gramling has touched. He's twisted. This man is a twisted person. Are the consequences that you're going to reap? You got to speak it. Takes faith to speak it, doesn't it? To write down these numbers, I mean, crazy numbers. People laugh at those numbers. People not only laugh at those numbers, though, times people say, well, you guys must be arrogant and think you're the only church around. Those numbers bring about some kind of reaction. And so in order to be able to write those numbers down or to declare that God has given us, this family that we call potential, the opportunity to do something that matters and something that is great, you can't just hope that it's going to happen. You have to believe so that you can declare. And I want to challenge you. You can. God has said you could. Compare what you're hearing today to what you heard Alistair Begg talk about yesterday on Fighting for the Faith. In order for you to experience what God said you could experience, you're going to have to say it. You're going to have to get off the couch, stop hoping that it will happen, and begin to believe that it will happen, and begin to declare and let people know, you know what, this is my dream, and this is what God's going to do, and this is what I believe is going to happen. And they might say whatever they want to say, but the reality is, God says, you can. Yeah, actually, you twisted that verse, God doesn't say you can in regards to these things. 
And I want to challenge you to go ahead and to do it. But you have to be careful that you don't start. And here's where the temptation is, is to believe that you, you need. Well, there's a passage of scripture. I put it in your outline. Abram has a king come to him because of something Abram's done. You can read all about it. And he wants to give him a bunch of money. And Abram says, I'm not going to receive your money because if I do, you're going to think you're the one who's made me rich. And Abram says, I don't want you thinking that because it's God who's going to bring about my dream, not you. And there's always a temptation if you're not careful. Really, um, I don't recall that story where Abram said to that king, I don't want you to give me any money because, you know, it's God who's going to fulfill my dream. Yeah, you just added to God's word. Getting worse. And I didn't think that was possible. Well, to rely upon somebody else to bring about the dream that God has declared over your life or the purpose or the destiny. Now, here's the danger in that is that the danger in that is that once you start to rely, and I'm not saying you close yourself up in a closet and say, okay, God, make it happen. God, you know, he leverages and uses all of us in this community that's called his church to bring his will about. But what I am saying is you got to be careful about relying because the moment you begin to rely upon somebody other than God, that's why Abraham said it. He said, I don't, God's teaching me to rely upon him. Not I- yeah, Abraham didn't say that. You're putting words in Abraham's mouth. And here's the positive side of that is it means that nobody can keep you from accomplishing what God's called you to do. See, there are some of us here that believe because the bank turned us down that the business will never stop, start. And you know what God's saying? The bank's not the one that's going to make the business happen. I am. The bank didn't declare. Where in scripture does God promise to help your business thrive? or start, or anything of the sort. You, or create you to start a business. I did. Some of us sometimes get afraid that if our supervisor doesn't like us, or if our boss doesn't care for us, that we can't get to the destiny. And what Abram is saying is, I'm not relying upon anyone else. I'm relying totally upon God. Yeah, show me where Abraham says that again. I want to see that. He may bring people in and out of my life, but I don't need or know someone else can't stop me from accomplishing what God's called me to do. That's good news. See, that's encouragement because sometimes we think other people can keep us from accomplishing what God's called us us to do. And we'll say things like that. We'll say, well, man, if the bank would just come through, if my ex-spouse would just do this, if I could just get my parents to, to help out with this, if I could just get the college to open up that class, but since I can't, I don't guess I, I will. Again, you're wrong. God is the one. So he says, I want you to rely upon me because the moment we start relying upon other people, you know what they do? They put us in boxes. You, you, you got No, not the box. <laughs> oh no, they're going to put people in a box. I'd be careful of the box. You realize it, it, it happens all the time to, to Christians where people will try to put Christ followers in boxes. 
this is so awful. What has happened to Christ's church? And they'll say, well, this is the way a Christian's supposed to act. Well, you, 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 you got to do it this way. You, you got to say it this way. You, you need to respond this way. And then, you know, since I am a pastor, I know in my life at least, I try to put pastors in boxes. And put churches in boxes. I say, well, you can't do a secular song at church. You can't wear that. At- what what function does a secular cover song serve in a church service? What's its function? Church. You you can't act like that at at, at church. Women can't hold that role at church. You mean pastor? Yeah, God's word forbids that. It's weird that you'd be saying this. And they try to put you in boxes. And then sometimes they even get more personal and say, well, you, you can't be a pastor and dress like that. You, you can't be a pastor and, and, and talk about or teach on those subjects. And the whole idea is to what? Is to, is to put us in a box to, to try to, to control or to, to, to manipulate. In reality, it becomes a distraction from what God's called you to do. See, I'm not saying that you and I say, well, this is just the way I am. I'm going to do what I say. I'm gonna do. And you can just like it or leave it. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be in your box, not because I am who I am. No, I'm not going to be in your box because who I am is who God created me to be to accomplish that for which he created. Yeah, the thing is, is that the pastoral office is an office in the church and there are duties and functions of that office and you're not actually uh, abiding by or fulfilling the duties of that office by doing what you're doing. And the fact that you keep twisting God's word, again, is a sure sign you are doing the work of the devil, not the work of Christ in his church. Me. See... God is not trying to figure out a way in which I can accomplish the vision he's given me. God created me and you for that vision. And the only way I won't accomplish my dream. Yeah, again, no text says this. Is if I let you put me in one of these. And so I'm not climbing in the box. And I cue sappy music. By the way, the sappy music used by many of these secret driven guys. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed really to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, ready to do business with people, get them to make decisions. So you need to make decisions to seize your God-given destiny and do something because you can do it. I don't care how upset people get. I don't care how angry people get is remember what Abram said, because I don't need and you don't need someone to get to where God's called us to be. You can't. Yeah, Abraham never said that. Let people put you in the box and they'll, they'll try to get in there. Oh, you got to, you got to do this. You got to, oh, you love everybody. I think I put in your outline. Joel says this in the book. Now, and, and this, he says in order to please. Yeah, that's not the prophet, Joel. That's the false, the false teacher, Joel Osteen. God, I may have to disappoint a few people. Now, I like that Joel says that because Joel is like the nicest person in the world. You know, when you're around Joel, I, he's just so nice. It makes me sick to my stomach sometimes. <laughs> so if Joel can, Pastor Joel can say that. And I feel a little bit better. 
about saying, I'm not getting in the box. Now, my goal is not to disappoint you. You're not going to get in the box because you don't want to. Di- no, it's just that I got to be who God's made me because he made me. And he made me so that I can do what he created me, what he created you to do. You're special. You're a masterpiece. That's why you can. And when somebody else tries to say, let me help you by putting you into this box, it's just a distraction. You say, well, Troy, does that mean we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it? And just say, I'm not going to be put in a box. Well, I want you to think about it like this. In the beginning... God says, I want you to succeed. And so God gives rails. They're called the Ten Commandments. Now, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? You could even... Well, it's part of God's law. And according to the book of Romans, it's to show you your sin. Hey, God gave us a box, this big box right here. Why did God give us a box? Well, he wants us to succeed. And so God says, I'm going to give you these commandments in order for you to succeed, in order for you to be blessed and enjoy the blessing. In Adam and Eve's case, remember, there was only one thing outside the box. Remember what it was, right? Little tree, tree of good and evil. Everything else was inside. All kinds of freedom. The only things that are outside of God's box are those things which will keep us from living our dream. So your explanation of the Ten Commandments is, is that you know, they, they're designed to help us live the dream and the fulfillment of this d- dream destiny that God says you can do. Unbelievable. Totally narcissistic. But what people try to do is they try to come and they put their little box inside of God's big box. And they try to use it to define you. They were in the the, the New Testament as well. You know what they were called? Pharisees. They were religious people. Yeah, so now he's playing the Pharisee card. Yeah, these are people trying to keep you from your dreams. And they'll use God to keep you from getting to your dream purpose. They tried to put people in boxes all the time so that they could control them. And you know what Jesus did? He climbed out of the box. And they're like, oh, you can't do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, I live in God's box, but not in your box. (laughs) So Jesus said, he climbed out of the box and said, I live in God's box, not your box. (laughs) I put the scripture in your outline. When Peter came to him and Peter said, hey, Jesus, you need to get in this box here. Peter was trying to get Jesus in the box. Oh my goodness, this is so awful. How is it possible this man is a multi-site megachurch pastor? How is that humanly possible? Because Jesus came and he said, hey, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die and I'm going to give my life so that you may be redeemed, so that you may have eternal life. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's, that's not what saviors do. That's not what kings do. That's not what gods do. You need to get in this box, Jesus. And Jesus looked at Peter, one of his boys. And what did he say? He said, get behind me. What did he call Peter? Look in your outline there. Satan. Get behind me, Satan. How dare you try to put me in a box? That's some strong words, isn't it? 
Peter. I mean, Peter, I mean, he is the man at the church. And Jesus looks at him, he says, I'm not getting in a box. And he says, Peter, you're acting like Satan because you want me to climb into that box. God has given us all of this freedom. Oh, man. This is, I mean, I don't even have the words for it anymore. Awful doesn't cover it. Demonic doesn't quite get there. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe this man is this blind. And the fact is, not only is he blind, everyone who's there who shows up to that church, and you have to put church in air quotes, they are utterly blind. They have no conscience and they have no concept of what God's word says. They're eating up this pig slop thinking they're eating steak. It's found in his word. And the only box we don't want to step out of is the one he gives us in his word because that's where destruction is. And that's where defeat is. But don't give in to the temptation. Tighten that thing up so that you can be controlled. Lastly, you know what people do sometimes to keep you from living your dream? is they'll give you their box. What I mean by that is they'll say, it's your responsibility to make me happy. I was happy till I came home. Right? What are they doing? They're giving you their happiness box. Make me happy. People do it at work. Make me happy. If I'm not happy, it's your fault. If I'm not making enough money, it's your, it's your fault. People even do it at church sometimes. Sit back and say, here, here's my box, Troy. Make me happy, Troy. Listen, don't take it. It's not your responsibility to make your spouse happy. It's not your responsibility to make your kids happy. It's not your responsibility to make um, your employees or your coworkers happy. Now, we are to serve one another and we're to love one another, but it's my responsibility for me to be a person of peace and joy and love. And it's your responsibility. Yeah, and Dan Sutherland's responsible for unleashing this plague on the body of Christ. This is the spiritual version of Ebola. That's what we're listening to. Because the moment I take your box, I get distracted from what God's called me to do. Can't feel guilty help your partner but we all have to take responsibility for whether or not we'll live the dream you can take responsibility whether or not you're going to live the dream because as jesus said broad is the road that leads to destruction so if, if you don't live the dream you know you're um in deep trouble apparently will you will you see it and say it you can bow your heads yeah done you don't get to pray for us wow rarely do i see or hear anything that bad that is awful demonic i mean like i said that is what we just heard is the sermonic spiritual equivalent of ebola and it kills eternally that's what we're dealing with here wow 
Why are all of these people who call themselves Christians showing up to listen to this? Pray that Christ opens their eyes and brings them to repentance so that they can find a real pastor who actually preaches the Word of God rightly and proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Because as Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. These people are on that broad road. That's what's at stake here. Pray. Pray for them. Wow. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>